Hello, Anti-Culture listeners. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the show. For those just joining us for this episode, I am your culturally diverse and culturally ambiguous host, Josiah Sinanen. And today we're diving into some subject matter that has been controversial for me in the past. When I first started Anti-Culture, my goal was to challenge the way we approach people. I find that more often than not in mosaic societies like ours, we loop people into boxes based on their identifiers. This is the most efficient way to categorize those around us. And whether we like it or not, we all do it in one way or another. Our culture doesn't like it when someone doesn't fit nicely into the categories of religion, politics, race, or gender. This way of thinking surpasses the traditional identifiers too. It could be that you hear someone is a stamp collector, for example, in their spare time, and your brain will fill in numerous gaps about their personality or what else might influence how they see the world. Perhaps you hear someone attends a church and your mind races to ensure you don't disclose any information that might be offensive to them. Oftentimes though, this way of thinking does trickle into other more sensitive topics that we're more familiar with, such as racial identity, income, marital status, or political affiliations. For me, being from a mixed race household and having many people unsure of who I am my whole life, I've gained access to a slew of candid conversations. People have constantly tried to box me in their categories, but luckily, I require a bit more time to figure out. This had me thinking. Every single person on Earth has their own story, their own inspirations and life experiences that make them unique. I started to restructure my own way of thinking to believe that every individual has their own culture that surrounds them, one that often supersedes the boxes that we put them in. Even if I strongly disagree with someone or their way of life, I have to take a step back and remember there's something in their story that made them think the way they do. And that is valuable. That is their true culture. I did join the protest. I was not leader per se. I mean, I'm not really allowed to lead anything or organize anything. I was still in Spokane, Washington at that point. So basically I just, you know, if I show up, I'm either heckled or just ignored and that's fine that people do whatever they're going to do, but I still wanted to get down there, you know, and show my support. And and I think the big thing that stood out to me is the weird clash between how overwhelmingly popular and trending and supportive this movement felt, the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020 felt versus, you know, compared to... 2012 and 2013 and mm. even 2014, you know, Trayvon Martin in 2012, Michael Brown in 2014, and then Freddie Gray in 2015 and Eric Gardner in between there. It's just right. Like a lot of the previous marches that I actually, you know, launched or, or organized or put together there in the state of Washington were very marginalized and very kind of, they were, they were treated as radical and treated as fringe. Our guest today is someone who I first interviewed in 2018. The world knows her as Rachel Dolezal, although her legal name has since been changed to Nkechi Diallo. She's the woman born to Caucasian parents who asserts the identity of being a black woman. When I first talked to Rachel, we recounted the events that led to her publicity, her identity as she perceives it, and some of the trauma in her life that led her to where she is today. She outlines the full story from her perspective in her book called In Full Color, which I would recommend reading if you're interested in her position. Rachel is also featured on the Netflix documentary The Rachel Divide, 
which outlines further the controversy her story created. Whether we like it or not, Dolajal did not seek attention when she was outed, but rather, it was in the midst of a very sensitive family event that unraveled her racial heritage. She was not paid for the arguably invasive Netflix documentary, and she has been unexpectedly torn apart in front of millions of eyes on shows like Dr. Phil and Good Morning America. But the story becomes a lot more complicated than what you might have seen on the news reports that followed her. It is worth noting that Dolajal is actually on paper a well-educated woman. She was previously a university instructor. She is a business owner, a mother, and someone who fights for justice actively. Yet, and understandably so, the world wrote her off in 2015 when she was outed by her parents in the messy exposure. On our previous chat, Rachel and I discussed how Caitlyn Jenner's identity discovery was celebrated at the same time as hers was being ripped apart. We talked at length about how she hurt people by maintaining the stance she did, yet we also discussed how she was praised by some, including the likes of Rihanna. Her story is a unique one. If you're interested in hearing more of Rachel's backstory, I do recommend going back to listen to my original interview with her on Season 2, Episode 7. I understand that this episode will be challenging to listen to for some people, but it would be dishonest of me to write Rachel off based on the spirit of the show. This year has brought about changes and challenges for us all, and I wanted to take an opportunity to check in on Rachel after the storm of 2020 and the barrage of negative attention she received just five years ago. So I invite you to listen with an open mind and explore Rachel's story more critically. I am not positing my position on Rachel's identifiers, but instead, I'm choosing to listen to her and treat her as a human being with wildly different experiences than I have lived. Before we dive in, I wanted to thank the Alberta Podcast Network for making this show a part of their roster. If you're looking for more Alberta curated podcasts, check them out at albertapodcastnetwork.com. This episode of Anticulture is brought to you by a great Alberta staple, ATB Financial. If you're wondering about how to manage your finances, rebuild emergency savings, or continue to save for your child's education, ATB can help. ATB was built to answer Alberta's financial questions in tough times. ATB was built to help Albertans. To answer your questions and to learn more, visit atb.com. We're also mentioning Park Power on this episode. In Alberta, you can choose where you buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. When I chatted with Rachel Dolezal, it was just moments after the news broke about the storming of the Capitol in Washington, D.C. Rachel was watching from her home in Arizona with her kids in the background and a bit of a shocked demeanor. Nevertheless, we were able to dive into her experiences with BLM this year, the ravaging that 2020 put her under, and her still diminished reputation. But the events of the day certainly added a mood to our discussion. As another note before we listen in, my interview with Rachel did have to be recorded over a phone call, so you may notice a slight quality discrepancy between this and other episodes. I believe the listen is equally enjoyable, I just wanted to make that disclaimer. And now, without any more waiting, here is my catch-up with Rachel Dolezal. How are you feeling? Are you excited to chat? I hope so. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just like watching everything unfold in D.C. right now. A woman got shot in the chest. I mean, there have been explosives. It's just, you know, it's like a lot of Trump's followers have taken his 
threat of civil war if he doesn't win re-election, like, serious, you know? And they've got Confederate flags inside the Capitol building. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. Breaking windows yeah. of the you know? It's just not surprising to me, but it's still a pretty important moment to watch unfold. So that's kind of what's on my mind yeah. at the moment right now, today. But. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it's been such a historic, like, 12 months. I am just shocked at everything that's happened. And I am curious before we get more personal, but I, I do want to know how 2020 has treated you and maybe how you reacted to some of the events of this year and um, maybe what you've been involved with as the year unfolded. Yeah. So 2020, once again, kind of reminded me, I guess, that we're, a lot of things are out of, out of our control personally on an individual level and that we kind of move as a society and as states, of course, in the United States. So moving from Washington state to Arizona state, the experience in those two states have been a little bit different as far as mandates for the pandemic. And we did actually experience COVID in Arizona as a family, as a household. Oh, wow. And that was pretty, you know, scary, but we're, we're grateful that we were able to get through it without medical care or hospitalizations or anything. So that was kind of, kind of one of the big things of 2020 is just also realizing that a lot of what people were saying about quarantine as far as it affecting mental health and just some of the feelings of despair and depression and isolation in particular, I really kind of reflected on how isolated I've been for the past five years, especially mm. socially and, and on a physical level, you know, really having to kind of shelter in place and stay home just because of all the hostility in society toward me. And that really I've kind of been in quarantine for five years, not on a strict lock and key basis or whatever, but, but definitely in a, in a kind of psychological and mm-hmm. social quarantine and it's definitely not fun and it's it's hard to press press through and keep going year to year not having a job not having any kind of public support or approval or general rights and privileges of of average people that don't have major media negativity chasing them down every move they make so it's been a kind of just a year of reflection and survival once again and just making sure all my kiddos are okay and yeah you know the household it did affect my hair business I had to shut down that for a couple of months in Washington state you know it's it's definitely affected my self-employment income with both hair and the art business because not a lot of people have been wanting to purchase art but we have been able to kind of just find ways to make up for that a lot of people we're getting into doing cameos and I started doing a lot more pep talks on cameo.com for people who were having a hard time. And I don't know, for whatever reason, people kind of thought of my name as far as, and I have a very low rate on cameo compared to a lot of other so-called celebrities. Right. Um, I, or I'm a so-called, I don't consider myself a celebrity, but you know, people on cameo.com basically are individuals with some kind of name recognition. Right. Some of them, much um, higher caliber in terms of their monetary worth or whatever their popular public opinion and popularity. But 
Anyway, I was <laughs> I, I felt honored to be able to uplift people in that way, and that also bridged a little gap for or somewhat of a big gap for income through sure. the pandemic. Just trying to to hustle those little cameos and and also keep my stuff going on YouTube and you know just, I have so many different irons in the fire. They're one little. $45 a month or a hundred bucks a month or whatever it is, you know, right. using all the little things together to achieve an income. And it's been stressful. Like I, I really miss the days of just getting a paycheck and yeah. <laughs> it's pretty simple, you know? but I also am grateful for just my different skills and abilities and for the people who have supported my efforts to, continue to exist and, mm-hmm. and to provide for my children. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's yeah. kind of how the year has been. And, and yeah, the big, the big thing of moving to Arizona, finally leaving Spokane was, was kind of our big moment in, in the middle of the year in July. And then Franklin, of course, starting college here. Yeah. My oldest son, Isaiah coming back from England from finishing his master's degree and, Right when he came back, Franklin tested positive for COVID and quarantined here in a little tiny one-bedroom apartment. So we downsized from <laughs> two-bedroom, two-level rental home to a one-bedroom apartment. You know, wow. Thinking that it would just be me and Langston, basically. But it ended up being all four of us in here with the two-week quarantine, trying to recover from from the flu-like symptoms and stuff that we had with COVID. And did you um, end up getting COVID as well? I believe I did. I say that because I, I didn't like leave the house to go get tested because I felt like that was kind of dumb, you know? Like, right. If they were all breathing the same air, we're, we're in this tiny space. Langston is crawling all over Franklin because I can't, you know, <laughs> I mean, he can't socially distance. He's four years old. So then he's going to come yeah. crawl on me. It's just, so we all had symptoms, and so common sense tells me that we did have it. Crazy. I haven't ever had the antibody test, whatever that is, you know, for, <laughs> for seeing, I guess, to see if you've had it. But it was crazy, and like I said, I, I felt like, you know, I stopped doing hair, I stopped shipping art, I just, we just shut down for those 14 days, because Isaiah just flown in, he had to quarantine anyway, and I was like, I'm sorry, that you have to quarantine with a positive <laughs> household now, <laughs> you know? I yeah, mean, wow. Sucks, but he had nowhere else to go, we didn't, you know, it was just, yeah. and, like, I drove, like, I went to the airport to pick him up, and then the car, broke, like, a water hose broke, the engine overheated, we had to <laughs> get the car towed from, like, Phoenix to Tucson, which is 90 miles, I mean, it was just, Wow. Yeah. And like uh, I said, we got through it. I know last time we talked, you mentioned that one of the things you were really trying to do was get out of Spokane and Washington state. And I'm curious, moving to Arizona, did it feel like a fresh start for you? Do you feel like people are more accepting there? Was there kind of a difference that happened when you moved? Well, because it's in the midst of COVID, you know, there's not a lot of social engagement right? and a lot of things that would be happening aren't happening. Like, the autism support group, for example, Langston has autism, so like I would have joined that. I did join the NAACP. Like the autism support group isn't meeting. The NAACP is only meeting on Zoom. It's just, you know, yeah. I mean, I, well, I didn't join the NAACP. I moved my membership to the to affiliate with the right. Tucson chapter is what that what you do when you move. So a lot of those kind of things 
I don't feel like I've had the real experience <laughs> of what it is or what it will be like or what it would be like if we just moved. I do feel like it's a fresh start just because the climate is so much warmer. I don't like the cold. You know, just in personal ways, I've been able to experience some freshness and some newness. But I still have, of course, the national, global, you know, the kind of public perception thing is is everywhere. And so Mm -hmm. I have run into people who are not either supportive or they are supportive based on what they think of my name and the fact that they recognize me, you know, my face. But I would say overall people here seem to mind their own business a little bit better than people in Spokane, you know, in terms of they're less, it's just like toned down a little bit. I don't, I don't feel like I'm starting a a brand new life or just able to, do whatever you know I have applied for jobs I haven't gotten a job yet but some of that like I said might be due to the pandemic I'm not trying to take all that personally yeah for sure I'm just kind of noting like okay it's not a hundred percent but it's by degrees it's a little more freedom you know more degrees of acceptance maybe and you know we just work with that and go from there I think it's Mm -hmm. Anywhere in the U.S., it's you know it's going to be a ceiling or a cap yeah. on how far I can sort of go or what I can achieve just because of the stigma. But I and I think probably there would be greater degrees of fresh start, freedom, that kind of thing outside of the U.S. But I'm not able to to move out of the country right now, and you know that's okay. I'm just kind of being realistic with outside of Spokane is the first step. And there may be additional steps in the future, yeah. but for and now we're kind of in an okay place and right. trying to... And you're safe for the um, most part, which is what's important. Yeah. I did want to ask you about your reaction to the George Floyd incident and if you were able to have any involvement in any of the protests or how that impacted you. Yeah, absolutely. I did join the protest. I was not you know, a leader per se. I mean, I'm not really allowed to lead anything or, or organize anything. I was still in Spokane, Washington at that point. So basically I just, you know, if I show up, I'm either heckled or just ignored and that's fine that people do whatever they're going to do. But I still wanted to get down there, you know, and show my support. And, and I think the big thing that stood out to me is the weird clash between how overwhelmingly, popular and trending and supportive this movement felt the black lives matter movement in 2020 felt versus you know compared to 2012 and 2013 and Mm. even 2014 you know trayvon martin in 2012 um michael brown in 2014 and then freddie gray in 2015 and eric gardner in between there it's right a lot of the previous marches that that i actually launched or or organized or put together there in the state of Washington were very marginalized and very kind of see they were they were treated as radical and treated as fringe and treated as you know like all as you know everybody would always say all lives matter you know if you try to say black lives matter so it, it was encouraging this time around to see that a lot larger support was behind 
this yeah. wave of the BLM movement, it was it was more normalized. It was more mainstream. Mm-hmm. And although some people might have jumped on the bandwagon just because it was trendy and popular, and that's not always sustainable, it still did add to the numbers. And in any any effort of collective action, the numbers do matter because it pushes the needle further. Right. So I was really hopeful that that energy and effort and that pressure would continue on. And I think in some ways maybe it has, and in other ways I think people kind of have maybe let off the gas a little bit since, yeah. since you know, the protests. Um, Absolutely. I just completed a an art piece called Anthology where it's 52 of the, the names and... I'm getting ready to do a second piece anthology too. And it's basically just kind of, you know, like every name is an entire story. So it's like a collection of stories called the names that we have been saying, like, you know, say their name and don't forget this person's name. And over time it's human nature to forget and to move on to another topic or another episode of, history repeating itself or whatever and so i think it's 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 important to keep that momentum Mm -hmm. going until the system is changed until systemic racism is undone and in some ways i i kind of wondered in the back of my mind like maybe the work that so many of us did prior had paved the way for that, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe in some small way, you know, a lot of people have said, like, I don't look like the mission or I don't, you know, and my skin isn't dark enough to, to be like leading Black Lives Matter movement or whatever it is, you know, people that, that think that your yeah. character is defined by your appearance sometimes have made statements like that. And, and I think that maybe in some small way, I kind of encouraged people to follow their heart, follow follow their soul. And if their spirit is telling them like, you know, you need to, this is a justice issue. This is a character issue. This is a moral issue. You need to activate and participate regardless Regardless. of whether or not somebody thinks you look the part, you know, that's not what it's about. And I am curious too, like when you did participate in these, uh, in the protests or, were kind of amidst the community. Did you feel like that sense of community was there for you in some regard, or was it kind of negative for you? What was? No. No. Okay. Yeah, like I said, it was either you know people would turn their backs on me, either ignore me, kind of push me to the side, whatever. Like it wasn't about me. Like I was there because the moment was important, and yeah. I wasn't there to be seen. I wasn't trying to be in front of the media cameras. I wasn't there to get a selfie, you know, with my sign. Of course, yeah. So, you know, it just wasn't about that. And so I I felt like I kind of just had to use that moment to walk the walk in terms of what I believe is leadership and the model that whether everyone is cheering for you or no one is cheering for you, you still do what you feel is right. And that's the only thing you can defend at the end of the day. And it's hard. It sucks when, you know, when nobody's, when people are turning their backs on you and people are basically judging you for the very thing that they're, like, they're there doing, they're participating, they're supporting, mm-hmm. but they're going to be negative about you being present 
I think it's, it's yeah. a terrible feeling. I hate it. You know, it sucks. Like I said, it was, it was not about that. It was not about me. It wasn't about my own personal acceptance or rejection. It was about the cause. And actually my, um, middle son had a, had a police encounter a couple months after that, that really frightened him and kind of brought some of that home for our family as well. And, wow. Yeah. And I think it's, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm aware of that whether or not we have those personal encounters, I know that they happen to black men, especially young black men all across the nation and black women. And it's just important to, to know and people with disabilities as well. You know, my, my youngest, my four year old is, is nonverbal with autism and there was a incident in Spokane, Washington that actually fueled the whole police accountability commission that I chaired there that actually was with a adult who had a learning disability and, and didn't understand that the police were trying to ask him to put his hands up and that he ended up getting shot and killed. So I think for, for many people that that have a loved one or themselves are, are kind of in the crosshairs. It's just a call to action and, and it's not an option to I'm always committed. I mean, I, I, anybody that knows me knows I'm the same, the same consistent person. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you know, from year to year, I become a better version of that, but it's not like I back down from my core values ever. To start wrapping things up, I am curious about something you mentioned earlier with how kind of it's human nature where we do kind of pick things up and move along to the next thing. And to be honest, I'm a little shocked that that hasn't started to happen for you, especially when you were amidst something as important as BLM. And do you think there's hope for that in the States? I mean, you have kept a relatively low profile and I think you've only committed to just causes do you think there's going to be a point where people accept you as you are, or do you think you'll always kind of be in this in the same position? And and why do you think you would be stuck there if you do think that? Well, I think in that people put down one cause and pick up another, or move on from things or forget things. I think that that attention span is more specific to just things that are passing. But if, if say, the Australian wild, wildfires came back up, people were like, oh yeah, the Australian wildfire, you know, or if right. COVID comes up, people that are follow- followers of Trump are going to say, oh, the China virus, you know, or whatever they say. So people people are going to label things and brand things with what they remember. Hmm. So I think in a way, there will be no possibility of me really completely having a normal life or moving forward in any sort of sudden or drastic way way where it's like a clean slate unless there's a redemption moment unless there's a moment where there's an an incident or an event that publicly people say wow we got this wrong we shouldn't have judged her so harshly and Hmm. she's actually a good person you know and actually maybe she's a you know whether like some people like rihanna like oh she's you know she's a hero or whatever i don't necessarily need like I said, to win awards or be made a hero, but I do want to be seen as a human being and I do want to be seen for my heart and for who I actually am versus the caricature that was created to, yeah. you know, really take me out of the leadership roles that I was in at the time. So I think 
there are two routes toward a better place, and it may not be a perfect place, but one route is what I've been doing for five years and what I continue to do is just every day be me, live my life, do my best, put as many good things into the world, whether it's doing someone's hair and raising their self-confidence and, you know, having a good moment talking with them or whether it's creating some sort of art that makes someone's life more beautiful or, or encourages someone or doing a cameo that uplifts someone's spirit. I mean, every day just doing the things that are consistent with who I am and trying to rebuild that way in one person at a time, you know, chipping mm-hmm. away, mm-hmm. I'm say eating an elephant or something, you know, chipping away, oh, she's actually, I met her and I like her and right. what, yeah, what were people talking about? And then the other route is, like I said, a, a, a big redemption moment or something where if, if somebody that, that really was publicly likable and sanctioned on a mass scale, it's like, you know, you all need to chill on bashing her because that was a big misunderstanding and big misrepresentation of who she really is. And, you know, I read her book and, and I think she's great. Aside from that, like if, if, you know, that is, that not being the case and me not being able to make anything like that happen, I think it's just a, a constant slog, a steady climb. I am not a quitter. I don't give up. As I mean, it's the one thing that I think people can sort of, whether they like me or don't like me, they know I'm resilient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> incredibly, know, incredibly you know, resilient. Resourceful and yeah. I'm going to find a way and my kids are always first. And, and like I always say, if people won't let me achieve my purpose in life, then they better let my kids mm-hmm. achieve theirs. You know, mm-hmm. like, like some people say their revenge is their paper, you know, the money, the whatever. And I always say my revenge is my kids because I love that. They, will do you know what I couldn't do maybe or or maybe eventually the dam will break and I will be able to do a little bit more in time but one way or the other they're three little well three three big they're growing (laughs) so they're gonna be out there in the world doing big things like I said if if public perception shifts and yeah. And I become considered likable, you know, once again, um, then that would be great. That would be huge. <laughs> that would be just an incredible relief. But if that doesn't happen, I'm going to still be me and I'm going to still do everything I can to rebuild and keep going. I just wanted to give you an opportunity before we go to maybe if people do want to support you or reach out to you in any way or help you where you're at, um, what's the best way that they can do that for you? The best social media platform, if you just kind of want to follow, is my Instagram, which is Rachel A. Dolajal. It's the blue checked one. And I also have on that my art Instagram page and my hair Instagram page linked. Then at racheldolajal.com is, is my website for, for purchasing art. My book is on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Any place books are sold, you can probably read it for free in your library. <laughs> if you can get books for your library now or after the pandemic ends and then you can get signed copies of my book on my website as well everything helps you know any kind of positive energy positive comment really does keep us moving forward and if you do want one of those little pep talks you can find me on cameo.com <laughs> <laughs> amazing and i would be happy to do a little custom video for you and <laughs> tell me what what you're going through or what your friend is whatever whoever's going through something and i'm happy to 
put my heart into it. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much. It's great to catch up with you. I am wishing you all the best and I am hopeful that this podcast, it's our second time chatting and I hope that it brings you some positive energy and um, some good feedback from the other side of of the interview chair. I know that that's not usually your experience, so I'm happy I could chat with you. Well, thank you so much. Yes, I definitely do appreciate that. And that's, that's the reason why why I'm on the, on the call with you for a second time. <laughs> <laughs> because I do enjoy talking with you and I, you know, I really like what your podcast stands for. So. Thanks, Rachel. I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Anti-Culture. I hope in some ways your thinking was challenged and you're inspired to explore more stories like this one. I encourage you this week to think outside the box as you interact with others. As the popular internet meme says, be kind, everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. As mentioned, I'm your host, Josiah Sinanen, and you can catch up with me on Twitter and Instagram at Josiah Podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback on this particular episode and be in touch with you. Parts of this episode were recorded and edited with the help of We Edit Podcasts. You can check out their studio spaces and services at weeditpodcasts.com. If you'd like to explore more episodes, we are currently in our fourth season and of many other exciting guests, which span a range of topics. Explore all our shows at josiahpodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this one, please consider leaving me a review and rating on Apple Podcasts and spreading the word. A quick share of the episode goes a long way. Until next week, thank you for listening.